This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. It's time to take command with former NFL tight end Logan Paulson and former Commander's beat reporter Craig Hoffman. Welcome in. Take command. Craig Hoffman here. Logan Paulson there. I cover the team. He played for the team. Eric Flack grew up rooting for the team. At least I think he did. He's a local guy. Now works for WUSA 9. You watch him on television. He does a great job covering all kinds of things. And uh, despite the fact that he is a news reporter, uh, there's a lot of news happening with this Commanders Club. We will, later in the show, get into OTAs, obviously week two, so we'll get to the on-the-field stuff, what Logan saw. We will also, because it is a Thursday, round out our off-season scouting reports uh, with the Philadelphia Eagles, spend a few minutes on them on the back end of the podcast. But we do welcome in Eric Flack from WUSA 9, who's covering both the stadium, well, it's kind of a fiasco at the moment, and the congressional investigation. Uh, Eric, thanks so much for coming on the pod. Appreciate it. Hey, I appreciate the opportunity, fellas. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So let me ask you this to start. How related are these two stories? Because you have public support, and to catch everybody up on the news, which I'm sure you will in your answer as well, yesterday they were supposed to take this vote to help approve funding in Virginia for the stadium. They wound up delaying that because, as you and others have reported, it doesn't look like they actually have the votes to get this right now. Public support and obviously congressional support at the state level in the Commonwealth of Virginia has plummeted as this investigation and these investigations have continued to pick up. So how related are these two stories that you have found yourself covering as a news guy talking about the commanders craig I, I think they're very related and to kind of explain why let's go back in history just a couple months to january 2022 when this idea of a funding bill uh to help daniel snyder pay and build a stadium in virginia was first introduced it passed the virginia legislature in the senate and the house their finance committees it passed overwhelmingly this plan with bipartisan support republicans and democrats were all on board with giving uh dan snyder a billion dollars a billion not million b uh to help build this stadium but there's a process that legislation goes through and that was only the first step as that bill worked its way through the Virginia legislature and the process of becoming a law, things started really unraveling for, for the team. You had the sexual harassment investigation. Then you had the allegations of financial mismanagement that ended up getting referred to the Federal Trade Commission. They're investigating. The Virginia Attorney General has launched an investigation into those financial allegations. And as these allegations and additional investigations have stacked up, support for the bill in Virginia has just plummeted. 
they initially took that $1 billion package and cut it to $350 million, hoping to kind of ebb the pushback they were getting in the public for giving that much money to Daniel Snyder. Well, that $350 million has now been pared down under $300 million. I'm hearing it's around $290 million. But what's worse is that a number of state senators who originally supported it have publicly come out and said they oppose it now. So when you ask how much does all the investigations and the most recent news of Daniel Snyder and Roger Goodell being asked to appear in front of this congressional committee, it, it certainly is not helping because he already had an image problem. His image problem is getting worse, not better. And it's working against him with this funding bill in Virginia. So if it comes down, let's say he rallies support and at the current bill of 290, if you're planning on a billion, 290 ain't going to pay the bills. What does it get? And also how much of this is location dependent? Because like, just again, trying to explain as we go here, because this is very convoluted and very detail oriented. There's this commission that approves funding, and it was initially, I think, started to help like the Richmond uh, minor league baseball team, like have a baseball commission for a stadium. Like it's very convoluted how this winds up in that committee and in relative to the commanders. But ultimately, there's this stadium commission that wants to approve this money for a stadium, now a football stadium, and it's the same group of people. And as they put out this Woodbridge site, the public backlash was immense on that as well where nobody seems to want that site uh including by the way the people that represent the area um so how much does 290 million get and how much of this is related to the potential location of this stadium with the land securing that that the commanders did last week let's answer your last question first the money is good for any location in northern virginia so whether they get the approval and the local uh sign off to build in woodbridge or be it loudon or out in dumfries if they pass a funding package that money can be used to help daniel snyder build that stadium anywhere in northern virginia you asked about the significance of 290 million We are all unclear as to what Daniel Snyder's financial situation is right now, other than we know that he had to take out a lot of debt to buy out his former partners. But we also know he's pretty darn rich. He owns an NFL team. So is $290 million going to make the difference on a $2 billion project? Maybe not. To me, it would be more of a show of support somebody coming out publicly and saying, we're going to stand with you, Daniel Snyder. We're going to stand with you, Washington Commanders. We want to be in business with you. And I think the significance and the symbolism of that, were it to happen, may be more important than the dollars itself. Because you're right, in the scope of a project like this, $290 million, not the biggest amount of money in the world. And obviously people are like putting their money where their mouth is, right? It went from a billion, obviously 290 million. Like you said, what would it take, do you think, and you know, all this is speculation at this point, to get the community to get back to that billion dollar number? Is it directly correlated to Dan or is there something kind of soured in the public about the team itself? 
Yeah, that's a good question, Logan. I think that there is a public image problem right now because I think that at some level, some of these lawmakers went into their communities after this idea first came out and talked to their voters. And some of them tell me they got a lot of negative feedback. Mm. The last polling that was done on this in Virginia was in 2016. Remember, as you guys know, we've been talking about this stadium issue for a while now. In 2016, the Virginia Chamber of Commerce, this is the group that's all about business in Virginia, went out and polled Virginians and asked them two questions. One, do you want a stadium in Virginia? Two, do you want public tax dollars to go to that stadium? Less than half, about 49% said we want a stadium at all. So that number's okay, about half. 23% of respondents agreed with putting any sort of public money towards a stadium. And that number is problematic. That was in 2016, and we're starting to see that I don't think opinions have changed. So to answer your question, Logan, I don't think we're getting back to that billion-dollar figure at all. I think the question is, is there support at all to even give them 290? And is that is that dynamic of those percentages, um, to your knowledge, and maybe you don't know the answer to this, is that an unusual percentage? You know, my parents live out in L.A., and there was a little bit of you know, I don't want to say similar numbers, but like there was a little bit of like, you know, we don't want public money going to a private venture type of thing uh, for that stadium as well, but it ends up getting done. Is there any of that going on here? How common is that to your knowledge? I mean, that's a very specific question, so I'm sorry. No, and I think it's a good question. And while I don't know comparables, I think you do bring up a good point. When you fill out a survey and the survey says, right. basically, do you want to give your tax dollars to a billionaire? It's kind of a loaded <laughs> question, right? right. <laughs> we mean, need some better polling. Come yeah, on, posters. And, so, and I think, so I think that's fair. Yeah. Um, uh, but in general, you know, you've got to have support for the concept right. in general. And that's what I think the team is struggling with right now. Yeah, and this is something that I think, to your point, Logan, has been happening nationwide. Like, we saw what happened in Florida with the Marlins and how their ownership, like, stole basically hundreds of million dollars uh, for this this private stadium down there. Um, We've seen it just recently in New York. There are people that are really upset with the state of New York for how they're going to finance the Buffalo Stadium. Um, and and can I point out yeah. that's a lot of money up in Buffalo? Yeah, I mean, it's like a two billion dollar gi- public finance. I think. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're giving a lot of money. And Cronky out and where your parents live, Logan, you know, in in L.A., uh, he built that stadium with his own money, and yeah, he's kind right. of the comparable to Snyder in many ways because he also isn't from what I understand, super well liked either. <laughs> and you know, but he made a decision. You know what? I'm going to have to do this on my own. Right. And I think that's got to be what Daniel Snyder is is talking about right now mm. behind closed doors is it looks like I'm going to have to do this on my own. Now, is that the reason the plans that we just uncovered um, say they're looking at a 55,000 you know, seat stadium, one of the smallest in the NFL, because he just can't afford to build something better? You know, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. And so this gets into an interesting discussion. We can kind of throw this around amongst the three of us too, though. So to me, there's there's two major differences between Kroenke and Snyder. 
One, um, much of Kroenke's hatred is uh, at least <laughs> centered in St. Louis because he took the team away from them. Um, and, you know, when you're like, hey, I brought you a football team, there's at least some support in L.A. But I will say this, Kroenke is rich, like ridiculous by by rich people standards stan Kroenke is rich and by the way he's the second richest person in his marriage because his wife is the heiress to the is is like in the walton family the heiress to the walmart fortune so Kroenke is like worth billions on his own his wife is worth even more billions dan is not um dan is is as you said eric earlier has taken on this public or this this debt to buy out his partners he doesn't have other businesses necessarily everything is within the team so his wealth is that he owns a franchise worth probably somewhere between four and six billion dollars which is significant but you there's only so much i feel like you can leverage the that value of the thing that you are trying to build for you know, and, you can't you can't leverage your house to build another house. That, that's not necessarily how that works. No, and in a comparable, and we're going to start conflating sports here, but it's kind of the same thing that the learners are facing right now. Owners of the Washington Nationals, you know, they're wildly rich, but they're not liquid right now because yes. the commercial real estate business got took such a hit. I don't think Dan Snyder, and again, I don't have I don't have. Right. any privy to Dan Snyder's financial situation other than you know what we can see from the outside and exactly. from the outside it does not appear that Dan Snyder is very liquid either mm. and you know you know taking on even more debt to build a stadium you know that's that's a that's an all-time credit card bill you know yeah definitely. so in order um, so I guess I guess this is like more of a business management type situation but like how else would you go about financing a stadium if the government's not going to pay for it? Can you get private investment in a stadium like this? And is, that, yes. is there a precedent for that? Yeah. I mean, you have to go out and you have to find investors and you have to raise the capital. I mean, the bonds themselves, let's, again, this is a complicated process, but let's go back to what they were doing in Virginia. The, what, there, uh, uh, what there is on the table in Virginia is an agreement to help Daniel Snyder pay back the bonds Hmm. that he's going to take out to build the stadium. The bonds being a loan, right, to all the people out there. And what the agreement is, is if you take out this loan through bonds to build your stadium, we will let you take some of our state tax revenue, the money we're going to make from your stadium, we'll give it back to you to help pay off your loan. So there is precedent. The question is, you know, when you're starting from scratch, you know, it becomes more and more difficult. And of course, you need permission to build in the first place, which, which is also the other issue right now of finding a location. I almost was going to ask if you, if you were a betting man, but you're better than a betting man. You're a reporter. <laughs> if you had to guess where this stadium ultimately winds up, is it Virginia? Does some miracle happen where RFK becomes available in D.C.? Because that's really the only place it could be in D.C. Or are we looking at something else in Landover, which seems like the one and only spot remaining in in Maryland now that National Harbor has been taken off the table? Okay, I'll work through least likely to most likely (laughs) from where I'm standing. D.C. is where we all want it. That's where I want it as a a, kid who grew up here. Muriel Bowser has been trying 
But she even wrote a bill that the uh, city council won't even bring in front of the full city council because there was so much opposition and animosity between the city council and the mayor. So not only is there all these logistical uh, hurdles as far as getting control of the land and getting Congress on board, the city of D.C. is not even unified in wanting this RFK. So to me, that is out. We like to keep talking about it. It's just not going to happen from where I'm standing right now. You know, Prince George's County is a really, really interesting situation because they have invested and are going to invest regardless. Dan Snyder could be arrested tomorrow on some random thing. They are investing in that community. They have said we're putting $450 million into the area around FedEx for all the economic development that was supposed to happen but never did. And we're doing this with or without a football stadium. We think we are seeding the land for Dan Snyder and to build FedEx 2.0. We think this is the right place for him to do it. We are going to be building amphitheaters and improving transit and roads and building cultural centers. And this is going to be where you're going to want to be. But Dan Snyder, you're going to pay for it yourself. But we really want you to build here. We really want the commanders to be a part of this uh, community moving forward. And Dan Snyder actually owns the land out there. So he doesn't have to plunk down another $200 million like he's offered to in Woodbridge if they move forward with that site to buy the land, you know, he or $100 million or whatever it was. Um, I think it was $100 million for 200 acres in Woodbridge. But he doesn't have to. It's, it's one expenditure he doesn't have. I continue to trust what I see, which is what I do as a reporter. And I see Daniel Snyder moving his estate to Virginia and building this mecca for a, as a place to live. I see that when we first uncovered plans months ago for sites, it was all focused on Virginia. I see them making moves in Virginia. I see the state legislature in Virginia talking about a plan to help fund the stadium. It might not happen. But all eyes have been on Virginia. All talk has been on Virginia. And to me, when there's that much smoke, there's got to be fire somewhere. And I just think deep down, whether he gets money or not, Dan Snyder wants to build this stadium in Virginia. I think he wants to reset the narrative of the franchise. I've done reporting that shows that the, the re market research data shows that the, there's more Commanders fans in Virginia than there are in Maryland. He has to compete with the Ravens. I think he wants to take his lemonade stand, go to Virginia, set up, start over, and build a new legacy. I may be the jerk at the end holding the bag who was completely wrong when he just <laughs> rebuilds in FedEx. Or he may, because of financial situations that we aren't co completely privy to, he may make a financial decision that he needs to just stay where he is and build a new stadium there because he doesn't really have a lot of options. But in the end, my gut tells me one way or another, this stadium is going to end up in the Commonwealth. So let's circle back around to the investigation then real quick and then, then close out. Um, he and Goodell, Snyder and Goodell, get asked to testify um, about the workplace harassment and all of the things that are under investigation. What are the chances that they uh, 
accept that invitation? And what do you think we would learn if they actually took the stand? I'm sorry. I just love the phrasing they used, invitation. We would like to invite you on the 22nd of June. uh, And if you don't accept, there'll be a subpoena. So have fun. (laughs) Kindly regrets. Um, So here is uh, both of their options. They can show up willingly. They can say no and see if they get subpoenaed. They can also show up and say nothing. At least, you know, you know, Snyder and all his lawyers can say, you know, I don't, I can't answer this and just play wordsmith with them. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, that commission, uh, that oversight committee has said this is not about the Washington commanders per se. We are trying to clean up corporate workplace culture and we need to figure out if there are more steps we need to take to protect all workplaces from the type of behavior that was going on inside the Washington commanders that we aren't sure has ever been fully addressed, which is why you get Roger Goodell brought into this, because they want to ask Snyder what happened and what do you do about it? And they want to ask Goodell, hey, what has the NFL done about cleaning up its own car? corporate culture to make sure this isn't happening at other other franchises. So, I mean, listen, the Republicans have also put out a statement that said this is a sham and this is a waste of the committee's time. They have this has become a politicized thing. So, if somehow Daniel Snyder and Roger Goodell can drag this thing out after the midterm elections when the Republicans are expected to take back control of the House and all these committees, all of this could go away, but you know the 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 the, the issue about whether or not they're going to show up. The team's statement was very very carefully worded. It said we look forward to responding promptly, but it said nothing about showing up. So they're doing right. a lot of wordsmith stuff too. It would be an absolute circus if Dan Snyder and Roger Goodell showed up down there. And I just, I can't see them willingly participating in that circus. Yeah, that seems most likely. It seems a little, you know, I don't know anything about the political hierarchy and the precedent for something like this, but it seems a little bit like dog and pony show, kind of like a publicity stunt a little bit. Is that... A correct vibe, or is there actually something legitimate that can come out of this? I think it's a correct vibe. Yeah, I'm sorry to cut you off, Logan, but no, I, I, I think there's a correct vibe there. I think yeah. I think so much of what happens on Capitol Hill is a dog and pony show, yeah, right? right? I mean, all of these hearings. What are they truly going to get out right. of Daniel Snyder and Roger Goodell in person that they can't get through requests and, and documentation? Right. They claim, the committee claims that they have been stonewalled, their questions have been stonewalled through NDAs and various other sources um, by the NFL and the team. Well, th- that's not going to change when you haul right. them in in front of person in person. You're just trying to publicly, you know, give them 20 lashes is what right. you're trying to do. And I, you know, listen, I, I don't know. I don't know how worthwhile all that is. I'm not a politician, <laughs> but, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the questions, I, th- I think it's tough because the questions are valid, but bringing them is not going to to necessarily right. get the answers. And that's the that's the tough part. Do you bring them anyway and make them say no in person when they're on camera and they know what the clips are going to look? Oh, the, Dan Snyder didn't an- refuse to answer questions and it's tough and that's politics and Yeah, I mean it sucks because at the end of the day like this is this is about them, but it's also about the people who were the victims. Like this is not a victimless crime. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, that's that's something I think I've always, when talking about this stuff, tried to keep center is like at the end of the day, this is accountability. Like as Eric, you, you very well described, Congress has to, by the nature of their duty, try to make this about something bigger and about the ability to create new laws to prevent this from happening in the future. But there's also an accountability aspect uh, to the people that were working at, at Washington football at the time and were hurt and were victims of the harassment and, and other things that went on there. Yeah, and, and to your point, you know, what responsibility do those elected officials feel to the women who are victimized to let them sit there and see their alleged, uh, you know, abusers, you know, be asked tough questions in person and not be able to hide behind mm. corporate offices? Uh, mm. th- there may be some of that where even if it doesn't uh, uh, plow new ground, we don't learn much. At least, you know, those women feel as though they were heard and that somebody tried to take action. I I guess that's a possibility as well. Right. Yeah. And by the way, that's something that Jerry Connolly, who represents them as their representative, has talked about when I interviewed him back in December, um, how that applies to the other lawmakers. It's a different story. That's a that that could be a whole other thirty minute conversation uh, and, and much different podcast. I'll wrap up with this um, because I think the actual interesting thing is not the congressional investigation, is the Mary Jo White investigation, um, which could ultimately result in if Snyder is directly implicated, other owners being like, "We've had enough of this," and, and voting him out. That is the only way I think that happens. Let's just say for a second, for this, what I want to ask you that. That does happen. I am not predicting that. In fact, I would very much predict that is not happening, even if bad stuff comes out of that investigation. But what I want to ask you, Eric, is this. If someone besides Daniel Snyder were to suddenly own the Washington Commanders, how would that change the stadium discussion? Because I think that is interesting, and that is something that is worthwhile for us to wrap up on. That's a great question, and I think it's impossible not to believe that it would have a positive impact on the team's reputation, on how the team is received, and what sort of support the team gets for a stadium, for stadium financing, and all of it. I think it absolutely would make a huge difference. The problem is that wherever you stand on whether or not Daniel Snyder is in danger of losing this franchise, it is hard to believe that that process would happen so quickly that this stadium thing would not already be resolved. Even if they took a vote to force him to sell, the sale would still take time. And if you do math on the FedEx field lease ending in 2027, which is five years away, actually after the 2026 season, so we've got four more years there, um, and the timeline it takes to build a stadium, they are running out of time to get this deal started. The Buffalo Bills Stadium, I believe, is set to open in 2027, approved in earlier this year. So, you know, they need to make a decision. They need to start moving forward or else they need to start, you know, negotiating an extension on FedEx Field so they don't get kicked out and we have somewhere for them to play. Yeah. Eric Flack is the chief investigative reporter covering all kinds of stuff at WUSA 9, Murrow Award winner, Emmy Award winner. And fantastic podcast guest. Uh, yeah, follow him on Twitter, at Eric Flack TV. Eric, thanks so much for coming on. And uh, I'm sure as this story develops, we will be talking again. Hey, I appreciate it. This was a lot of fun. Thanks, fellas. Thanks, Eric. Appreciate it. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. 
Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Take Command Podcast, Craig Hoffman, Logan Paulson. You like what you hear, make sure you subscribe. Where, Logan? On your favorite podcast platform <laughs> or wherever you're listening right now. Again, I don't know why you wouldn't be listening on your favorite, but I'm just going to give you the benefit of the doubt that that's a possibility. Uh, so we talked a lot Monday about week one of OTAs and looked at it a lot through the offensive lens, Logan. Let's go through the defensive lens, and we will, however, start with someone we talked about a lot on Monday, which yeah. is Chase Young. He was back. Um, yep. On the sideline, obviously rehabbing with Al Bellamy, the the head the head trainer uh, now here with the Commanders. Ron Rivera's like, yeah, it's great to have him. He was asked. Ron was asked a lot about him and you know leadership and all this kind of stuff. End of the day, since we spent so much time on Chase not being here and said it was important, what's it mean for you to see him back one week later? Well, I mean, obviously, based on what I said on Monday, I think it's outstanding that he's here, and it's not again, it's not for the rehab purpose, right? It's just, A, for the optics of being in the building. It's like this, the team, the coaches, all that stuff, the classroom stuff. It's all kind of the intangible things associated with being here. It just sets a, a good a good vision, good optics for the team. I think it's the right decision just from that standpoint. And hopefully, hopefully he's able to learn and get some, inf- get some information and get better just being around the material a little bit more. Yeah. So let's let's go level by level here. I think that's a good yeah. way to, to go into it. Because I also think if we start up front, that's going to feed nicely into the linebackers. So sure. let's start up front. Um, I know you've been super high on Fedarian Mathis and what he can do. We now see him playing, you know, spring, spring practice ball yeah. uh, next to other NFL linemen against NFL linemen. What did you see from that that group up front, uh, including the, the injection of Mathis in the place that, you know, Ioannidis and Settle used to be? Right, yeah. So I think the thing that, again, like Alan is kind of, it's so funny because everyone kind of approaches OTAs a little differently. You can tell um, John is working on some stuff. He's, I don't want to say he's going half speed because he always plays hard, but he's kind of trying new techniques, new new stuff. So he's using it as like an elevated practice, which I think for a guy in his position is absolutely what you want to do. He's, and what's crazy is he's still flashing excellent play. And then you go to Mathis, who's kind of learning the position, kind of the other end of the spectrum from John. And what you see is early on, Having a hard time adjusting to the speed this week, you know, six practices in today, and you see a guy who's starting to understand like what he needs to do to be successful and just how disruptive he can be. So, you know, he's playing on the side more often than not with uh, with um, Turner and Cosme, and those guys are very quick off the ball. So the first week they were kind of eating him up, and this week you see him kind of getting his hands on people, using that length, and there's a lot of runs that look really clean. Then you go back and watch it again, you say, oh, Fedarian's making this play, or Fedarian's eating this double team enough, or he's making this double team flat enough that Cole Holcomb's making the tackle. So everyone talks about his impact, you know, and like his value as a second round pick. And I think you're starting to see that already paying dividends, right? And I think the other thing that you need to consider here 
and it's hard to know now because Payne's not practicing, but you're going to get a fresher Duran Payne in third down situations. And personally, I've always thought mm. he would be an excellent third down pass rusher. So, again, I think Payne's going to play on first and second down, but now you've got this guy who's really, really good on first and second down and allows Allen, allows Payne to be a little bit fresher on the money downs, third down, two minute, whatever you want, red zone pass rush, all those kind of things. So, I think that's just going to elevate everybody. And then you mentioned the D-line. Montez sweats back. And, again, you just underrate how freaky big and athletic that guy is. You know, Cosme has had a crazy um, OTA so far. You know, James Smith-Williams and Casey Tuo have looked like they've come a long way. You know, they're they're twitched up. They're they're stressing those guys out. But Cosme's looked so under control. And then all of a sudden Montez is out there, and it's like a totally different animal. So it's just good to have him back out there and just, you know, that dominant physical presence. Um, And, again, couple that with Allen, what Fedarian's been doing. It gets you excited. Um, they also signed a defensive guy from uh, Carolina who played defensive end at Carolina. He's got he's like a, from the international exchange program. Yeah, I forget his uh, name. F.A. Obata, right? Yeah, F.A. Obata, thank you. And F.A. Obata has actually been playing end and interior, like three technique when they're in their Cinco package, which is, again, everyone's like worried about depth at the position. He's a big man with long arms and I think could be a nice rotational piece in there. Maybe like a guy that can play end three technique, you know, maybe five technique and a pinch kind of thing. So again, that group is starting to come together in a way that you don't really expect, you know, before OTA starts. Yeah. Um, is there a defensive end? Obviously, like the guy who we think is going to be the defensive end opposite right. of Montez, and we know eventually will be, is Chase. Yeah. Um, but he might not be ready week one. We'll see. Um, and even if he is ready, they need depth at that position. Yeah. Is there one of those next guys that has really stood out whether it's Casey James guys you know guys who had I think better than expected years last year obviously yeah. played a lot more than expected and and maybe you see that experience and, and knowing what they have to work on going into the offseason yeah. paying off as we get into OTAs yeah I think so it's interesting I think Casey brings a little bit more like athleticism to the position but he's also like 255 pounds so if you need like a dropper I think he's got a little juice as a pass rusher which shows up nicely good speed his get-off's probably the best of the group, right? But his ability to finish the rush needs to be refined a little bit. And then James is kind of like that he's big, he's physical. I think you feel more comfortable with him on first and second down. And so I think that might be how that progresses early. Like he'll be your first and second down guy to compliment Montez. And then the other thing about Montez is, you know, like his reputation is he's very dominant when he's fresh, but his conditioning is somewhat lacking at certain points of the year, right? Especially coming off the COVID stuff, which is totally understandable. But, you know, having three or four pieces there that allow him and Chase both when they're healthy to be fresh, I think is is a critical element. So it's nice to have those two guys, you know, who A, are solid football players, but B, add special teams value and are mm-hmm. good value adds kind of as depth pieces. You know what I mean? Yeah, no doubt. So linebacker, we spent a lot of time on it yeah. with good reason. It's the biggest question mark on this defense. Uh, Cole, Jamin, and who else? Uh, yeah. First of all, let's start with Cole and Jamin because they're going to take the majority of the snaps. How have those two looked? So I think uh, the thing about Jamin is every once in a while, like, um, so last year during OTAs when I was out there watching, he looked like it was it was all happening really fast. And he still has plays like that. But now you see him being decisive to the football. It might take him a minute to read it, but at least now you see him running. Like I remember the first week, you just saw him open it up and like literally you're like, there's no faster player on the field than him, which is crazy because he plays linebacker. And you see that now a little bit more, right? And as the recognition improves each day, he does that more frequently. So that to me is very, very encouraging. He's still at times, you can tell like his 
His football IQ is a little low. Like today, for example, they ran a little pick route on the goal line, and the split's tight. His antenna should be up, but he kind of plays into the pick, and he's so fast he's able to get there, but the ball is completed. It's probably a first down or a touchdown. You know what I mean? Like it's just a tick late, and I think as he experiences that, it'll be better. And then Cole, I think, has really benefited, quite frankly, from Mathis playing better each and every day. So as Mathis has played better, you see Cole flash more because he's covered up a little bit better. He's fit and runs better. He's calling defenses. His... Again, both those guys, It's I need to articulate this. It is so hard to play linebacker in this defense. There's so many different shifts, formations, motions, positional variations that affect your read and what you're supposed to be doing. And so there's always a little bit of indecision from those guys, but they are getting better. So it, we're really like I think the best way to say it is you want to be average at linebacker, and I think this group can be average to plus average if they keep progressing the way they have over the first couple of weeks. So – I got two follow-up questions on that. Yeah. First, thinking back to our conversation with Jay, because I asked right. him about Del Rio, and he was like, well, he's really not that hard to prepare right. against. And, you know, not that that's a bad thing. It just means, like, his guys are going to line up. Hopefully it's very simple for them. They know where to go. Right. They can play fast. Assignment, alignment, football. We're not trying to do a bunch of things. Yet to hear you say, like, hey, it's super hard to play yeah. in this defense because as a linebacker, you have to you have to line up like all these different things. You have to know all these different checks. I just think it's an interesting, and I just think it's like an interesting dichotomy that yeah. it can be so complicated internally. Yet, for an offensive standpoint, it's not it's that easy. hard to figure out. Yeah. And so, how do those two things line up? Because it, it, it kind of leads to the question of like, and I, I'm I'm asking this honestly. Yeah. I'm not trying to second guess Jack Del Rio, who knows more football than me right. by a million. But, like, if it's too complicated for the guys doing it and it ain't that hard to figure out for the guys going against it, that would seem to be unnecessary. They're not necessarily complicated for the guys doing it. So how do you square that circle? Yeah, so I think what it is is, like, so for me, like, when I watch it, I say, okay, like, this is his, like, I always watch every clip beforehand saying, like, this is his gap. This is Jamin's gap. This is Cole's gap. Then all of a sudden they'll bring a motion, and I'm like, okay, now that's, that, that has changed formational strength. So now his gap is now here. And then they'll take that same guy they just motioned, and on the snap, they'll bring him back across the formation, and they'll bring him the running back that way. So I'm kind of thinking now, okay, and it's off his own reduction. So now I'm like, well, technically they have added two gaps week, and do you account for the quarterback as a, as a rusher here? And if you do, then you got to play a third gap back. So again, like even on like that's something that's really straightforward. It's just like a zone read run away, and all of a sudden there's like six variables you need to account for, and that's one of the issues of playing multiple coverage structures which he does he plays quarters he plays six he plays um like palms you know which is like a variation of four and then he plays tampa two they all lead to different responses and fits to those runs and that's where it gets a little confusing right and then i think this is also something that needs to be said scott turner to his credit has done a great job of formationally putting these guys in weird spots from like a fit standpoint, like he'll do a lot of stuff where he's lining up four guys to one side and one guy over here. And it's like, okay, now all of a sudden, not many people do that. How do we respond to this? So again, it is complicated, but that's the problem with playing a gap defense as opposed to like a gap and a half defense, because you are, you have a gap. And so now I have to identify the gap versus pullers versus cross sit versus fullbacks. And it gets really confusing. It can be really challenging. There's a lot of rules, a lot of rules. A lot of rules. Yeah. So that yeah. was you just kind of touched on the second question I was going to ask uh, before we get to the secondary, which speaking of questions, um, but you, you say these guys are getting better every day. That's great. Yeah. They should yeah. be. It's OTAs. Yeah. 
But they're also getting better against the Washington Commanders' offense every Correct. day, and that's not meant to put down the Washington Commanders' offense because the Rams are getting better against the same or the, the yes, LA Rams' right. offense every day, right? You're seeing the same scheme, you're seeing the same guys, you're seeing so like you know you you might learn something if you're John Allen and you're you didn't know anything about Trey Turner last week. Now you practice against him six days in a row. You might learn some twitch and you pick something up. And sure, you, you might do that through film study and stuff during the season, but it's different being able to literally see it every single day. Right. And every single rep is against those guys. You're never having to, to mix it up. You know, you might even if you play two similar schemes week one and week three, you got week two in between it. So right. I, long wind up and, and, and putting this out there is like a discussion point to say, like, how much of this is because they're playing against the same offense every day versus like, are you able to separate out? Oh, no, that guy's learned something about how to play better in the NFL, whether it's Jamie, whether it's Fedarian, whether it's Cole, these, especially with these younger guys. Yeah, so I think that's an excellent question because like, a lot of my technical style came from going against uh, Ryan Karen, Kerrigan and Brian Arakpo every day. They had a very physical way of setting the edge, and so I developed a very physical blocking style to match that. So when I get, went, up, went up against players who were a little bit different, a little bit twitchy, a little bit more loose – like, it was hard for me because I didn't see that very regularly. So that's a great point. So in the grand scheme of OTAs, so six practices, which is not a lot, but it is a significant mm-hmm. amount, um, I'd say the offense looks exceptional. Like, I don't want to say exceptional, but they look very, very good. And part of me is concerned that the defense isn't very good. Was- or, you know, uh, Washington's defense at the moment, right? They're having some issues in the back end, which I think they may have gotten corrected over the last two days, which we'll talk about in a second. But um, I think... I think the thing with them and, and the linebackers specifically is, yes, you're getting better at identifying stuff relevant to the commander's offense. However, the way they've done their installs, which I think is really smart, is it's a little different every day. A little bit different in terms of run scheme, a little bit in terms of pass concept, a little bit in terms of two-minute red zone backed up emphasis, right? They have moved the ball periods. They seem to do really well there. And the thing that I kind of judge this on, quite frankly, is are they making plays, yes or no? And it's kind of binary. You can be in the right gap but not make the play. And I will say Jamin seems to be making more plays. He's near the ball more. Same with Cole. And, like, though that's a very silly metric, but for linebackers specifically, it seems to be very relevant. You know, because there's not a lot of times where they're in, like, man coverage or where they're, you know what I mean, or they're taken on a guard very consistently. It's like, did they identify that screen? Yes. Are they there to make the tackle? Yes, and that for both of them seems to be trending upward, which is good because there is a variety of stuff they're seeing every day that's not it's not exactly the same every single day. Right. Uh, so that leads us to the secondary, and maybe the biggest, uh, most interesting point is Benjamin St. Juice. Uh, obviously, yeah. had a, an up and down rookie year in part because the downs were injury related. Yeah. Played pretty well uh, when he was in there. But you'd think as he comes out, like big, physical, classic outside corner, yeah. all of a sudden he's lining up in the slot. Uh, yeah. What have you made of that, and how has he done there? Yeah, so I think that's been because they. So the first couple of days they had Cam Curl playing the Buffalo nickel spot. They had um, Forrest playing safety and Bobby McCain playing safety. And uh, Forrest has had a hard time, like with certain coverage run in quarters specifically, because you're a run player as the quarter safety, and so he's been getting a little nosy, and there's been stuff over like behind his head. And I thought that's not something that's going to be like a long-term viable solution. So yesterday and today, what they've done, which I think is a nice move, they they've still have kept Curl in certain situations as the Buffalo nickel, but now they've started mixing in Benjamin St. Juice there. So Benjamin St. Juice, like you said, is a little bit bigger body who's actually a very good tackler for a corner. 
and can fit up on some of these runs as the Buffalo nickel player. Now, it's not all the time, but that seems to give you the best kind of collection of people, right? You get Curl playing safety. He's done, he does a great job in the post. I think he's better in the box, but he does great in the post. Bob McCain, who I think is kind of your true post. And then Benjamin St. Juice, who in this in this new coverage philosophy can match up with your number two or your third wide receiver, your slot wide receiver, can cover a tight end, and is also big enough and physical enough to fit a run. Now, you don't want him doing that all the time, but in terms of coverages and busts, those numbers have started to come down a little bit over the last two days. I kind of mentioned how dominant the offenses looked over the first four days of practice, and then this transition is, has kind of given the defense some some legs here a little bit, and it's all because Benjamin St. Juice can match up against uh, Jahan in the slot, and Jahan has been absolutely dicing people. I think we talked about this on the last podcast. He looks, yeah. I'm getting, I'm starting, to, it's early still. I'm starting to get number one receiver vibes from him, which is great. But to have your slot corner, the guy who you're having fit runs, who can kind of erase him in the slot because he's so physical, I think is exciting. It's exciting for this group. And um, I think that has helped him quite a bit. And, and again, he's a guy you mentioned who's had a, an injury history. And I wonder about him fitting runs consistently with that injury history. So we'll have to see how that progresses once pads get on, but as of right now in the underwear Olympics of OTAs, it it is it's been a benefit to have him in that position. I thought I thought the underwear Olympics were the combine. It is, but this is like an extension. It's like, I don't know, like what do you want to call this? Like underwear? I don't know. I think, like, yeah, I think the underwear World Championship yeah, yeah, happen right. every year. I don't <laughs> yeah. know. Figure it yeah, out. Yeah. Uh, taking submissions. Uh, yeah. Tweet us or tweet me at Craig Hoffman. Send send Logan. There's some weird DMs you're about to get. Yeah, send yeah. Logan an Instagram yeah, DM yeah, at, at Logan underscore Paulson eighty two. I have a different idea for the Underwear Olympics. Yeah. What's going on in your DMs? <laughs> uh, last but not least, uh, oh, actually, not uh, two more. Two more things on the on the the secondary. Yeah. One, uh, seen a lot of tweets about William Jackson. Third, not not having the the best of camps. Yeah. Is it is it too early to to be like big time concerned after the year he had last year, or is this a hey? He's a veteran. He's trying it out. He's trying his best, and uh, that should pay off in the long run. Like, where are we with William Jackson the third? I can't speak to how the team feels about him, but like, you know, I, I go out and watch practice every day and I am concerned about it. You know what I mean? And he might be trying something on, you know, like I mentioned how John is trying something on. I got to talk to John about that. And he was like, oh yeah, I'm trying this new technique and I know it's going to help me. Lo- I, I know it's going to help me in the long run, but, yeah. um, you know, it's, it's hurting me right now and you can see it. So like, that makes sense to me. And I'm not even a little bit worried about John because of the year he had last year, but with him, I'm, I'm kind of like, he's going to play a big role, right? Because we just talked about how advantageous Benjamin St. Juice has been in the slot. But he might need to bump outside, and then who's playing your Buffalo nickel? Who's playing your nickel corner? And then does that weaken your this nice kind of triad of coverage players you've got with him in the slot? So, again, I'm, I'm slightly concerned about it. I, I feel like when I watch, you know, Jahan against him, like Jahan wins, you know, and I feel like – William Jackson III should have the advantage in that in that matchup because of his experience in the NFL. Now, again, like you said, it's OTAs. People approach this differently. People have a different mindset towards it. You know, I think he's – I liked his tape from Cincinnati. That player has not been here the past two years or the past year and a half. So I'm a little concerned about it. Again, I don't want to sound overly critical of him because it's really, really hard to play court in the NFL. But it's something mm-hmm. that, yes, like coming through this next probably three-week period till minicamp – like, I'm watching that. I'm watching that with both eyes open. Like, and to be fair to him, today, for example, there was a rep where Curtis Samuel, like, beats him on a skinny post. And it looks like he gets diced up, right? 
but it's not his fault. It's actually Forrest's fault. Like Forrest is sniffing around in the box on the run. He should be back, and then the ball right. should be intercepted. He played by him. to help. He played to help that wasn't there. And then so again, so like there are situations like that ha- that 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 happen, which are not his fault, but he's going to get blamed for it. And so again, I think that that's important for people who are hearing all this stuff online. Um, that that's a variable to consider. No doubt. Um, and also, like it's interesting to hear that it's like Jahan doing that because I remember when Terry came on the scene. And we're like, do all these corners suck? And it's like, <laughs> oh, wait. Week one, he scores twice against the Eagles, I think it was, his rookie yeah. year. And you're like, oh, He's it's that 17's really good. Yeah. It's, these corners are not awful. It's, yeah. it's, it's the receiver. So, you know, who knows? It could be that with Jahan, and, and, too, where it's just and, like you come out and you're like, oh, I know why those corners look bad. Because Jahan Dotson's awesome. And that'd be great. That would be great. And, I, and again, the other thing that I want to point out, too, is Jahan's looking really good. But also Carson Wentz, his ball placement has been next level and you see kind of what his presence does for this offense and if he can keep his head on his shoulders and not have some type of emotional meltdown which is known to happen in the nfl it's a very stressful thing like that relationship that they've built is going to be outstanding so again like when i say like uh you know william jackson the third is getting dice like it's an excellent route by Jahan, but the ball placement is like unlike anything that they've had here over the last couple of years so that's another element that they're contending with last but not least on the secondary uh what other options do they have at safety? If Forrest, you know, Forrest seems to be their first option, the guy they, they were hoping to step in after they drafted him, I think, in the fourth last year. Fifth, so, I think, obviously, yeah, I know fifth, you've, yeah. been, you've been high on – yeah, it might have been fifth. Um, you've been high on Percy Butler. Like, you loved his tape. Like, what options do they have at safety and how, how have those other options looked if Forrest is not going to ultimately wind up being that guy? Yeah, so right now it looks like they, the other option would be Benjamin St. Juiced at Buffalo Nickel slash Nickel. The role will be a right. little different with him there. <clears throat> Curl at safety, and then Bobby McCain at the other safety, which I feel, after watching them over two days, I feel really, really good about. I think that might be that might be the way to go. Now, they were doing more pass-heavy stuff, so that might not be their kind of first and second down Buffalo nickel. We'll see how it goes. A lot, lot of offseason left. But I think Percy Butler's the next guy up, and so they've been trying him out at Buffalo nickel, pure nickel, post-safety. There's times where you see his speed, you see his aggressiveness, you see all of those things. There's other times you're like, man, this dude's got a lot on his plate at the moment. Because like I just listed four positions: Buffalo, pure nickel, post in the you know he's got a lot going on. So in terms of and he's a late round pick. Like as as talented as he is, like if he was super on top of everything and as physically gifted as he was, he'd be a first rounder. Yes, right. Like that's how that works. And so I think like uh, I'm excited. I'm, I'm still excited about him. But I do think that they he has had something's going on. I don't know if it's like his ability to digest the defense or or whatever it is. But again, you see those flashes and you feel good about it still. And like I know they're still very high on him. But I think as of right now, he's probably the first backup to all those spots. Is the way they're looking at it with like special teams ability. And again, if he if he comes on, then maybe you feel good about him playing Buffalo nickel and you can bump St. Juice outside or whatever. But that would be the piece that I think. And Forrest. And I don't want to sign Forrest off yet because I actually think sure. his skill set fits maybe a pure Buffalo nickel a little bit better as opposed to like this post-quarters type safety that they've got him playing right now. Like get him in the box, let him be physical. And that's another thing to keep an eye on. Maybe they could bump him in there saying juiced out and then you feel good about everyone kind of in their roles i just think they're they're reluctant to put a rookie in at that buffalo nickel spot because of all the kind of mental gravitas associated with the position so yeah um you know when we get to training camp there we will probably many times say it's still only training camp yes yeah Uh, and so if we're going to say that in august it's still worth pointing out it's like 100 percent for us like 
we're we're still in June. Yeah, and we're barely in June. Yeah, so uh, six, long way to six go. Six practices, so a lot a lot of stuff still to do for sure. Hey, it's Greg Hoffman from Take Command. It's not just a podcast. It's the 25th hour of your day. Your weekly source for all things commanders, right on time, your time. A list of household chores. Do them without missing a beat and listen while you work. In the car, turn mundane drives into memorable moments. With podcasts, you can maximize productivity and minimize FOMO. We're on demand, so we fit perfectly into your schedule. Follow Take Command in the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey everyone, this is Brett Boone. Would you know it? I've got a podcast going strong in our fourth year. Tune in as I sit down with my friends, some of the biggest names in sports, media, entertainment, for a lot of fun and in-depth conversations. As you know, baseball's been my life. It's been in the family for a long time, but it's a lot more than that here. It's sort of like taking a ride in a golf cart around a beautiful track. Join me every week for multiple episodes on the Brett Boone Podcast, available on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Take Command podcasts from Odyssey Sports, 2400 Sports. I'm Craig. He's Logan. All right, last thing real quick. Spend five minutes on the team that you think is going to be the, the best in the division this year. The Philadelphia Eagles have had a heck of an offseason. They bring in A.J. Brown, um, but they are moving forward with Jalen Hurts, which yep. I think after he makes the playoffs last year, like he earned that. And, and we'll see how this goes uh, with yet another year of him leading the way at quarterback. Uh, Nick Sirianni, second year, obviously, is head coach and, and everything that he brought in why do you why like if we're picking the division today i know you're picking the eagles yeah what stands out to you as the thing that separates them from everybody else well i think the first thing is that they probably have the best offensive line in the division and that's not important for every team but it's important for that team because of how much they run the football right so that elevates jalen hurts that elevates sanders that elevates boston scott that elevates everybody in that backfield they have an outstanding tight end group, which I kind of consider as part of that. So they not only are they good blockers, but they're outstanding receivers. Dallas Goddard's probably top five, top six in the NFL at the position. And then you move the move outside and you say, like, holy cow, like they're probably most efficient at receiver, right? The, you know, they um, the kid from Alabama last year is an outstanding player, but probably Devontae Smith, Devontae yeah. Smith, but probably a two. So who's the one in this offense? And then because of all this draft capital that they've been able to accumulate over the last three years, they have, they're able to trade for um, A.J. Brown, who is probably, in my estimation, a true number one receiver. You can say what you want about his game and where he's deficient, but he is a, a guy that you can just say, hey, line up, win on this slant, we got to have it. And that's what a, like Hurts needs, right? He needs a guy who's just a winner. And I, I've seen what that can do for quarterbacks, right? I saw what that did for Deshaun Watson when I was in, when I was in Houston with uh, DeAndre Hopkins. And when DeAndre Hopkins leaves, goes to Arizona, what that does for Kyler Murray. So that piece, and I'm not saying he's DeAndre Hopkins, but he's in that same maybe that top five, top six, seven X receivers in the NFL. And that's a big deal, yeah. especially for a young Well, I mean, look what he did for Tannehill. I mean, yeah, absolutely. obviously, like – Derrick Henry does more for Tannehill than anybody well, because that's debatable. Turn around, like, yeah, I can. Well, I mean, for the Derrick Henry part, I think I can figure out how to turn around and hand the ball to him. Like that part, that part makes your offense a lot better. And, yeah. and obviously, you know what Arthur Smith designed there. Um, you saw it drop off a little bit last year yeah. with, with him moving to Atlanta and taking the head coach job when he was in Tennessee as the OC. Like that offense was was really potent. But on the passing side of it, no questions. This is pre Julio getting traded there. AJ Brown was the guy. And you saw Ryan Tannehill go from a guy in Miami who was like fine, but not good. And like his last year in Miami was bad 
and then signs in in Tennessee, AJ Brown shows up and all of a sudden they're in the AFC title game. Yeah. And I think that's to me that's why. Is that offense they've kind of the weakest link is Jalen Hurts, right? Who I think if you're gonna say he's the weakest link is a guy who adds value as a runner, will add value as a runner, and has progressed as a passer, and it will progress more as a passer with a guy like AJ Brown. And um so I think that's that's why I feel good about him. Obviously their defense is a group that was not great. And then they've gone out and added um, Jordan Davis, who I think is one of the highest upside players in the class. And you worry about his development, but they re-signed Fletcher Cox, perfect mentor for him. Um, You know, I didn't even talk about the center they drafted in the second round and how that's a nice replacement piece for Kelsey moving forward. So there's not, that all line's going to be good kind of, I don't want to say forever, but you know, kind of for this foreseeable future. And then the defense, they signed uh, James Bradbury, who I think is a hell of a quarter and was like the highest graded quarter by PFF two years ago. And then uh, did they keep Darius Slay or did they let him go? I I think I think they kept Darius Slay. Yeah, so we'll look that up real quick. That, but because I did this report like three weeks ago, so lots of change since then. But uh, uh, yeah, he's still with the Eagles. Yeah, so again, like that's a really dynamic corner combination. And then you bring in Nicobe Dean in the third round, a guy who may or may not play this year, um, but a guy who, when he's covered up, is maybe one of the most dynamic college linebackers of last season. And I think there's no better way to make sure that he's covered up than bringing Jordan Davis, than having Fletcher Cox, you know, as, as two guys in front of him who can just devour blockers who also have great upside. So I think that team is, is really good. They progress in, in every capacity. And then they have, I think they have two or three first round picks next year, which allow them to trade up, trade down if they feel that Jalen Hurts isn't the answer. So uh, to get, and then to get a, an elite quarterback on a rookie deal, I think that just means that they're going to be very good for a long time. And they will go as far as Jalen Hurts wants them to go, I think, is, is the, my, my thought on this. Yeah, and, and you know, part of as far as Jalen Hurts lets them go is, like, like you said, like they, were, they spent some money, um, yeah. whether it's Brown's extension, whether it's Bradbury, yeah. um, re-signing Fletcher Cox. They did restructure Slay's contract, but they are able to do all this stuff because they're not paying a lot of money to quarterback. Correct. And, you know, obviously a good quarterback is really important, which is why you pay them a lot of money right. when the time comes. But the fact that they are on that with Jalen Hurts right now if he can play well on that rookie deal, um, it does seem like Philly's in the driver's seat in the division. If you missed our preview of the Cowboys and the Giants, just head back. This is the beauty of a podcast. It's a podcast. It's on demand. And in fact, each show, we, we put out the full show, but also each individual segment. So if you want to go back and just listen to the Giants or the Cowboys, it, it's very easily findable right here in our podcast feed. Uh, coming up next week, uh, we were supposed to. We were hoping to have John Kime today. John's been under the weather, um, so we really appreciate Eric Flat coming on. Um, obviously, great guest Crushed that we want to yeah. have on anytime. Uh, anyway, so it, it wound up working out. But we will definitely have John very soon. Michael Phillips has also said he's willing to come on soon if we can make it work with his schedule. So uh, he, he he we talked to Michael about coming on this week. But right now, Logan, as we record this, he's at the zoo. Oh, sick. playing dad. Excellent. So we're talking about we're talking about eagles, and he's at the zoo. He's seeing maybe That's, real eagles. Yeah, perhaps, perhaps, yeah. whatever they got there at the, I, probably the Richmond Zoo. I don't know. Maybe it was a field trip to D.C., yeah, uh, to, to, to the National Zoo. Either way, Michael, I hope you're having fun at the zoo. Anyway, Michael will be on the podcast soon. Uh, many other of our friends on the beat, uh, some of the guys that Logan works with and gals yeah. that Logan works with over at the Commanders. Uh, so plenty of great guests and, and of course, the, the football conversation between the two of us, always enjoyable, at least, at least for us. We hope that you are enjoying it as well. If you are, subscribe just click it. Follow on Spotify. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, wherever it is that you're listening. We appreciate it. Leave us a rating or review as well if you like it. Uh, that helps us out and will help other people like you who enjoy good football conversation 
find our show. So with that, uh, make sure you follow Logan on Instagram at Logan underscore Paulson 82. Follow me at Craig underscore Hoffman and, and at Craig Hoffman on Twitter. And we will see you next week, Monday, right here on Take Command.